1: and we are recording.
0: Hey everyone, we're recording. Is it still winter out there? I'm confused. The sun seems to be staying up longer, but it still feels cold.
1: Very cold this morning. Yeah, it's still cold. Great. Spring is coming. It's coming. coming. It smells. I wake up in the morning, I open the door, it smells like spring. Mm. And, I don't, <clears throat> and I don't think I'm hallucinating.
0: I just smell the heat coming up through the ductwork, so it's still yeah, well. <laughs> The smell of money burning (laughs) (laughs) it's better than the smell of napalm in the morning
1: Uh, that's that's true
0: yeah is our i guess our oil prices are going to be going up soon because of this incident Mm -hmm. in ukraine right yep Jeez, great get some solar panels because the sun is out that's true (laughs) yeah good good to see so good to see y'all again so um we have an interesting couple of conversations that we're going to have today. And um, we're talking sports. So um, we brought in our two sports experts, and we will introduce them momentarily. But first of all, we have Bill Sutton back again, manning the controls. Hey, Bill.
1: Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
0: And Joe Shaw's here, wearing purple. Hey, Joe. That's a lead color, isn't it?
2: Uh, It can be. It can be the, what would that be, the third week? No, no. Third week is the pink candle.
0: So um, welcome, Father Shaw.
2: No, wait, that's Advent. That's Advent. I've got this all backwards. I'm Catholic. I should know this stuff. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group, and I'm the other guy who's not the sports expert here.
0: Okay. We're just talking about our lack of sports prowess. Um, So that's another podcast for another day. And I'm Annette Hinkle. I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group, not the sports editor. But with us today is the sports editor. Drew Budd is here. Hello, Drew. How are you?
3: Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me back on,
0: and also Kaylin Riley, who who used to be the the uh, press news group's
2: sports editor, correct? And a former sports writer of the year in New York State, as I recall. That's right. That's true.
4: You can take the girl out of the sports section, but you can't take the sports section out of the girl. So yes, <laughs> this is Kaylin Riley. Officially, I am a news reporter these days, but mm. you know,
0: well, this week the news is sports, so. It's the end of the basketball season and we had a very interesting matchup and it was the Southampton Mariners versus the Pearson Whalers, both of which were very, very good teams. And what happened when they faced off in the Pearson gym? And I guess this was a first for a lot of the kids since it was a COVID situation that had not allowed
3: them to play in person for a while, right? Yeah. So uh, basically um, just to kind of give a a backstory on both teams, uh, they played each other in like mid-January southampton won that game by 10 points it was a close game throughout and uh, but both teams came into it undefeated so whoever won was going to be you know continue to be undefeated and somebody was going to have their first loss and that first game was in pearson was in sag harbor and that was like their first game where they like opened up to spectators to you know everybody can pretty much come in and um it was you know a great local rivalry game um and everybody enjoyed it and you know, everybody kind of wondered, you know, are they going to be able to play again because it was a close game. And sure enough, you know, both teams win their respective county titles and they move on in the county tournament. And they played this past Tuesday at Longwood High School in what's basically called like a BCD qualifier. And basically the winner of that game gets to play in the small schools uh, championship. So the Tuesday, February 28th game, you know, Southampton and Pearson meet back up and and Southampton Kind of put it on Pearson a little bit. They won, you know, almost by 30 points. And um, it wasn't really a game. And it was, like, really Pearson's first game of the year. Pearson's a very good team. I don't want to take anything away from them. They're the top-ranked team in Class C in New York State. And so that's, um, you know, something to point out. But Southampton was just, you know, all over them from the beginning. They didn't really miss many shots in the first half. And it was 42 19 by halftime, and the game was pretty much over by that point. Um, so, Southampton, as I wrote this week, is kind of like now, you know, this season's like top East End team. They are now kind of, they've they topped to Pearson, and there's no other other real teams that are moving on except for Bridgehampton, who, you know, we'll get to in a little bit. But, um, you know, Southampton is really a top team. They have a really tough game against uh, Kings Park, who's undefeated. They're 21-0, uh, maybe 22-0 and 0 by now. But, um, you know, it'll be tough for them to win that small, smooth title, which would be a nice little feather in the cap. But either way, if they, you know, win or lose, Southampton will play uh, Friends Academy, and uh, Pearson will play Carl Place. And if they win those games, they'll move on in the uh, state tournament. So those are elimination games. Those are the big ones for them,
2: but they're not on that team. So, the basketball postseason is so complicated to me because there's so many titles and uh, championship games, and there's the county and there's the the divisions. I mean, I mean that's it's not a bad thing. It's just it's complicated. Every time uh, one of the teams wins a title, I think, oh, that's awesome. And then it's like, well, they're playing again next week. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's funny
3: because I had this conversation with Sarah Menino, our production manager, and uh, because she's very involved in, in Southampton sports and, you know, she was kind of like wondering, well, what's, you know, how does this all work? And the way, the best way I could describe it is there's the county tournament, which is run separately and kind of concurrently to the state tournament. And so basically there's, you know, there's state tournament is what you need to kind of stay in to get to, you know, the ultimate goal, which is a state title. Then they have this county tournament that's played, you know, within that time span and you can win. Obviously you win your county title within your class and then you have the small schools championship and then the ultimate, you know, the, the section 11, Suffolk C- C- County title game too, which is, you know, it's tough for a lot of the smaller schools. Get to it's usually between the best double A team in the county and the best single A team in the county. So, but that's the best way I can describe it. The bigger schools.
0: So, are the county championships the same as the Long Island championship?
3: No. So, the Long Island championship <laughs> is is still in that state tournament track.
0: Oh, um, I see. Okay. So, you're
3: playing Nassau County champion, and you know the best team, basically from Long Island, will whoever wins that game will continue on in the stage. Market.
0: So it's a good thing. All these winners aren't like in the annual parade. Cause it would be like this endless procession of all these teams that have each won something, but nobody could really sort out what, and where, and when. So. So,
4: so I can say a little bit about this because it's, it's not, it's something that happens, not just in basketball. So it's weird. This, this, it's sort of like this separate little playoff. So each, each school is divided by class right class double class a class a class B C and D and it's just by your school's population size. Um, so you have Pearson who's a class C school and Southampton is a class B normally they don't really they're not going to eliminate each other from the playoffs because they're in different classes so Pearson already won the Suffolk county class C championship. Southampton already won the Suffolk County Class B championship, but once they have those, those county champions within each class already determined, then they make them play each other just for bragging rights, basically. They're not elimination games, so like your Class D team will play your, and your, you start at the bottom of the bracket, so your Class C champion will play your Class D champion if there is one. Sometimes there's not a D school. Whoever wins that one goes on to play the Suffolk County class B champion. Then whoever, went play, whoever wins that goes to play the Suffolk County class A champion. And that game is considered the small schools championship because everything in class AA is large schools. So you have like your Brentwoods, your William Floyds, all those big schools. And then anything that's A, B, C, or D is considered small schools. But it's, it's not really like it matters in terms of like you could lose those games, but you're still gonna end up going through the playoffs in your respective class. But it's like this sort of like.
1: I'm so glad you cleared that up.
4: I think she did
0: actually. Give her credit. <laughs> yeah. I kind of understood that in a way that, you know, like when you get a math problem, you don't expect to understand. I kind of got it.
4: But it's fun because so like they used to do this. and They don't do it in every sport, but they did. So they always have done it in basketball and they do it in um, field hockey as well. And so I, I played field hockey at Pearson. And so we would, we would like, we actually cared a lot about those games, even though we knew. Those games didn't necessarily matter because you're you're playing someone that you've played during the regular season that you really want to beat. And if you beat a team in a higher classification for you, then you you're not necessarily expected to beat that team. So like if Pearson had beat Southampton, that would have been a really big deal for them. Um, I remember years ago when Ed Petrie was still coaching at East Hampton High School. His team, which was a class A, they beat Half Hollow Hills West, a class AA team that was really good. So they won the overall county championship. And that was a huge deal. Again, yeah, it it's very rare make,
3: for that to happen. It
4: didn't make a difference, right? It didn't make a difference for them in terms of their ultimate run to states, but it was a really cool feather in their cap for them to say, not only did we win the Suffolk County Class A uh, championship, uh, 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 we, we, Won the overall county championship so they could say we are the best, um, Suffolk County boys' ball team.
2: And that's true. You said that Southampton is going on to play Friends Academy, right? Are they the class A? Is that would that would be for? No, so team.
3: sorry if I confused No, I, mean, I may that, have been doing that
2: wrong.
3: Yeah, so so Friends Academy is a class B team, but from Nassau County, so that's why they're playing in the Lion Championship.
2: That's for the Long Island Championship. Okay, because that's in Class B.
3: That's for Long Island Championship, which
2: is March 9th. Got it.
3: And Pearson is playing the Nassau County Class C champion, Carl Place. Those are the same night. They're back-to-back. And these will
0: be the ones um, that will take them to state or not?
3: Yeah, well, yeah. They have a, a regional final that they'll play after that. And then and whoever wins that game goes to the state final.
4: You're back to nation format once you get to that – uh, suffocant. like once they finish playing the, those bragging rights games and you get to your long island championship you're back on that like same track within your class and that and it's an elimination game so that and
2: so right. this was the small schools championship no
4: the small schools championship <laughs> is tonight
2: i still don't
4: have it but so remember <laughs> double was, double a, a is large schools double a is large schools anything a b c d is small schools there's a lot of double A schools in so, Suffolk County. So what,
0: what was the Southampton sag Harbor game then? If was it anything?
3: That was technically, it was called, we call it the BCD qualifier. Because you could be a BC or D team playing in that game and qualify for the small schools championship. All right, so
2: let me see if I got this now. <laughs> Southampton's playing in the B Suffolk County Championship game this coming week. what <laughs> <laughs> I still don't have it. <laughs>
4: They're playing, they beat, they now have to play the A school. Right. So the and the A, then that's the small schools
2: championship. Right. Got it. Level that's A A against school. Kings Park.
4: A, B, C, and D are small schools. Oh, so right. Pearson, no.
0: okay, so-, so Pearson has sort of been eliminated from the small school championship then.
4: Yeah, it has. Been. Yeah,
3: they've been, they've been eliminated from the, the, the section 11, which is Suffolk County.
4: Oh, Drew, don't start saying section 11 now. Come on. Now they're going to get replaced. Yeah. So when they play
0: Carl Place, they're actually playing for the honors to go on to the state level.
3: To continue, yes.
2: Let's play, put it that way. got it.
4: Guys, next week, we're going to take you inside the Suffolk County Wrestling Tournament and talk to you about <laughs> the Blood Round and Wrestlebacks.
2: Yep.
3: And
4: then your heads yep. are really going to explode. Oh,
3: my God. Which, and they just added True second this year, which is like a whole new thing. <laughs> I'm not listening. to we'll talk about that, too. See,
4: guys, this is how I feel when you try to explain secret to me. Yes. And <laughs> pre-existing, it's, it's... non-conforming and... The difference between the ZBA and the Planning Board and the Planning Commission—it's
2: true. Now you it's know how the, I feel there's a parallel there. There's no question. Really a, right. but,
4: well, look. A Lots of confusing a briefs
2: Two good schools, basically, is what we're saying. Right, well, right? I,
3: I don't want to forget about Bridgehampton, okay. I, and I was afraid that that was going to kind of happen. But so Bridgehampton—they were going to go back to this, this county tournament here. They had lost to Pearson in what's called the CD qualifier, and. So, Bridgehampton hasn't played a game now in well over a week, but they are scheduled to play their regional final game against a, a team called Chapel Field Christian School. And that's that Tuesday. And what's right, kind of nice about that, actually, is that it's played at West Hampton Beach High School. So, you know, a lot of even people will be able to come to that game. I
1: just want to remind the listeners that we're recording this uh, podcast on. March 4th, so some of these games may have already been played by the time this this airs.
2: Go visit 27East.com for the results of those games. Exactly. Right now. Of
3: course, yeah.
4: But you know what's important about these games, too, is that, like, you have a really rich basketball tradition at both of those schools at Pearson Southampton. So I would gather that at that game, there were people who are, those are the kind of games that will pull in casual fans of the team more than just like people will go to that game, even if they don't have like a connection to a kid that's currently on the team, because it's, two towns with rich basketball traditions. It's, it's fun for the fans.
1: And there's an ongoing rivalry between between Southampton and Pearson that goes back um, over a generation, right?
4: There's more, I would say it's more like a, they don't really play in the same classification, so they don't really always play each other a lot during the regular season. But I think like just in general, there is a rich tradition of basketball in the East End. So between Bridgehampton, Pearson and Southampton, the coaches all know each other. A lot of those kids know each other. So it's got, there's, there's just a lot of like history there.
3: I, I think when you go back years and years and years ago before they had this classification system, you know, Southampton and Pearson and Perchampton, they all probably played each other.
1: Yes, um, But we're talking, sure. well,
3: like 50 years ago.
1: I was, I, was talking, I was talking to our friend, Michael Mackey from WLIW. Um, the other day I ran into him at the store and he was telling me about, um, you know, about, you know, game, games between Pearson and Southampton that that went back and, and that there was always a lot of attention and, and a little bit of a rivalry there and um, and, and all that. And I think to Kalen's point, that's why you have a lot of people showing up at, you know, at games like that, just because of the, the rich history, the rich athletic sports history um, you know, both districts and, and coming together like that. And it's, 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 it's fun when you're, it's fun when you're playing your neighbor, right. Rather than, than a Nassau County team. I mean, there's no local connection there. Yeah, definitely.
2: Drew, I'm curious, do do, do these, these guys play basketball together away from the court, like do the Pearson and the Southampton kids know each other, the Bridgehampton kids?
3: Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely know each other. Um, you know, I I couldn't tell you like names like off off the you know, you know, top of my head of you know they play each other play with each other on like travel teams during the off season, but yeah they 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 all know each other. I know you know Wilson Bennett on Pearson and Ev Corwin on Greenport. You know shared a, a good moment together on the court after Pearson beat Greenport in the county championship, and you know it was a you know a good embrace. Like they definitely you know they fought hard against each other, but after the game you know they were still good friends so a lot of these kids they know each other they know what's at stake and they know you know they love
2: playing against each other really nice and it, you had a story a couple of weeks ago about section 11 and the realignment that's coming is that going to change the fact that will these schools play each other more in the future does that have any effect on that it
3: it, it is and it, it is to a certain extent um You know, we go back to that classification that Kalen broke down a little while ago. You know, they they still have to play within kind of those confines. You know, you still have to have Class B teams playing against Class B teams in in a certain league. So you might, you will get more games such as Southampton against Hampton Bays because they'll be, you know, either Class B teams in some sports or Class A teams in certain sports. Um, And, you know, East Hampton and West Hampton Beach, probably play each other a little bit more since they're both a teams um but you know it's interesting it it, the breakdown is different basically every sport so um it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out
1: local support comes from the law firm of toomey latham shea kelly dubin and quarterraro in these trying times working full-time for their clients and the public interest providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel Be well-advised, SuffolkLaw.com.
0: 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website southamptonsagharborbooks.com now hiring booksellers at both locations so um kaylin has sent a note that she's got to leave very soon so we're going to launch in to no pun intended surfing um so kaylin had a story a few weeks ago about eric penny who is um a surfer who grew up in hampton bays um unfortunately died in 1989 of a of a cancer um, diagnosis that he had but um, he was recently inducted into the um, east coast surfing hall of fame and um, so kaylin i wondered if you wanted to talk about eric penny and sort of did you know about him before doing the story and what did you learn about him
4: oh so, so i have to give a major shout out to my husband dave riley who's the one that put me onto this story because he is a big surfer. He's taken me on many trips to countries with great waves and very few um, creature comforts during the course of our relationship. So (laughs) he's the one that kind of gave me the heads up about the story because he's pretty tuned into the surfing community out here. And um, it ended up being a great story that I really enjoyed writing. So Eric Penny um, was Hampton Bay's native and he ended up becoming a really talented surfer um, you know, he ultimately left the East coast to go live in California for a while. And of course, Hawaii, which anyone who takes surfing seriously, you know, at a certain point, if they live on the East coast, they do have to sort of branch out a little bit, but um getting into his whole life and everything he did was really interesting. So, you know, he got pretty decent notoriety because he ended up on the cover of Surfer magazine. So, you know, if you're, if you're a good enough surfer to end up on the cover of Surfer magazine, like that's, you know, that's pretty much a sign that you've arrived in one way or another. And um, he, he, you know, as much as he had a reputation for being a really good surfer and, and everyone kind of described him as like fearless and a hard charger, you know, someone who would just, go for it um, and not really worry too much about whether or not the wave was going to sort of eat him alive or not. Um, He also had this reputation as being someone who kind of pioneered, you know, the surf road trip, which has been like glorified in many, many like surfing videos. And it's a big part of just the surfing culture, you know, that you, you like throw your boards and your wetsuits and like, you know couple granola bars into your car your beat up van and you just sort of go and you like go off the grid and you find you know maybe you're staying in a tent or a hammock and you know you just you don't really have a whole lot with you but you're just there for the waves so he kind of did that you know one of his um friends who I was speaking with um Joe Bornstein said you know he would just if he saw dirt road he would just go down it which I thought was kind of like an uh telling example of the way he sort of approached life and surfing. And so he ended up uh, sort of discovering this one um, surf break called uh, Peticalco in Mexico. And he did just a lot of like long road trips um, in Central America and South America. Um, his sister, D Dargan, who still lives in Hampton Bay, she was great. I went to her house. She showed me a bunch of photos of him and she gave me this incredible photo of him um, wearing this sort of like multicolored poncho and he had this long hair and she she said she thought it was in Peru, but she wasn't sure. So that was sort of how he lived his life. He kind of just, you know, traveled around searching for waves. You know, it was just a really cool story. And I got a lot of feedback from people who said they were excited to hear about it. And um, one thing that people really liked was, you know, a lot of time, like the surfers from the East Coast kind of, you know, get this reputation for not being as good or as experienced as the surfers from, you know, California or Hawaii. So they, a lot of the time they'll have a bit of a chip of their chip on their shoulder about that, or they feel like they have to prove themselves um, a little bit more, but, um, you know, they do every once in a while. I mean, Kelly Slater, I'm pretty sure is from Florida, maybe like Cocoa beach area. Um, you have someone else, CJ Hobgood, who is. um, also, I think originally from Florida, who was inducted in the same class as Eric Penny. So he had a lot of pride in the fact that he was, you know, an East Coast surfer. And there's a big surfing community out here as well. So I think like the people that, you know, live out here and surf, especially in Hampton Bays, um, East Quag, West Hampton area as well, like, kind of like to see you know somebody from the east coast and from their town in particular getting that kind of recognition within the surfing world so it was really fun to kind of dive into that history plus I tracked down the photographers that had taken photos of him on this surf trip in the 70s so anytime you can get access to some like cool retro surfing photos it kind of puts you on a good path for a story yeah
2: so he died in
0: 1989 I think you said he was 38 or 39 right so mm-hmm. he would kind of. Up yeah. in the CH. But I thought it was interesting that you know even back then, uh, as far as the the East End is concerned, Montauk's always been sort of the surfing place. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was interesting that he and his buddies kind of carved out some spots west of the canal mm-hmm. um right. that have now that have actually hung on to their names and their reputations a bit. So you want to yes. talk about a couple of those sp- spots?
4: Yes. Yeah, so there's an area um, by Chinook. Shinnecock- inlet called flies that he he's the one who gave that place its name um i know you know i know some of these names because my husband will go there and surf so flies he named that there's the bowl which is the area where people go surf there but you're right a lot of the you know when people think east coast long island surfing they often will think of montauk but you know there's there's a very vibrant um surfing community in hampton bays and and you know also east quad west hampton but um yeah, there's a big contingent of people from that area. But speaking of Montauk, another story that I thought was funny and kind of summed up Eric's personality as well was his friend, um, Joe Bornstein, same friend was telling me, you know, there was one night where he just hears someone knocking on his door at 1am and, you know, in comes Eric and he says, get up, we're going. And he was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the waves are really good in Montauk. We're going right now. And he was just like, Okay, dude, I was asleep and you just like busted into my house. But all right, I guess I guess we're going to Montauk. And he wanted to like get out there before anyone else was going to be there. And another story, I'm I don't know. I think it was maybe Joe as well, but I spoke with Michael Shermeyer too. They were working at, um, and I I would have to look back on the article for the name, but it's it was the predecessor to the Bori Barn. And there was they had they were supposed to work a double shift, and they had worked in the morning and then it was time to go back, but the waves were really good. And they were like, you know what, we're just, we're just going surfing. And that was it. (laughs) That was the end of their career there. So I thought that was kind of like a fun story. And he kind of said, you know, he lived his life that way. And he, his friend Joe sort of appreciated that he kind of like pulled him along in some of those moments and made him kind of like, you know, live in, live in the moment, which was nice to hear from his friend.
0: Well, it's definitely lifestyle having just returned from Hawaii where I saw lots of surfer types sort of just hanging around day after day after day Mm -hmm. waiting for the big waves to break, which they started doing right when we were leaving. Um, It's a really interesting culture and you can see how, um, you know, people who look like they've been around there for a few decades have really developed this lifestyle of um, creative hanging out, uh, waiting for the big break.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, there's part of you that's, that's kind of like, Oh, it must be nice not to have, you know, full-time job and responsibilities and just do that. But I think a lot of people who are really into surfing in that kind of way, they sort of mold their life around that. And they, you know, they, whatever it takes for them to be able to do that, they either live with less or they just kind of, you know, live a simpler life so that they can have that kind of freedom, um, or get, job, it, get
0: jobs where they're working um, hard in the season where the waves are small. and
4: Yes. Yeah, so a lot you know. of people do that. There's a guy, Kurt Rist, who I've written about before a Southampton high school graduate. I know he comes home here in the summer, works hard every day. I, I think mostly he like teaches surf lessons, but then, you know, he would go to places like Mexico, Ireland during the off season and just, you know, surf, surf, surf. And that's, you know, that's cause that's what he wanted to do. He kind of molded his life to be that way it helps when you don't have children sometimes but um you know then there are people who just make their kids with them and just make them live the bohemian lifestyle too kaylin
0: i wonder if you think are there any undiscovered undiscovered surf spots it just seems like it's become such a huge sport i mean now they do the tow-in surfing where yeah. the the surfers launch themselves off of the jet skis in the wave and i don't know it just seems like everything's gotten so high tech and with social media so widespread do you think that there's any secret surfing spots left to discover
4: there's probably not that many secret spots left but the ones that haven't been totally overrun yet um are probably fiercely protected i mean i know like within the sur- whole surfing culture if you if you if you have a spot that's good and a lot of people aren't there yet it's like you do not talk about it like you're not supposed to tell anyone where it is and actually he caught a little bit of flack for that magazine, that Surfer magazine piece, at the time, because I don't think he really realized that they were going to speak as much about that um, that discovery of that break in Pedicalco. And and I've, I, his friend said that he got. I think his friend Michael Schirmeyer was telling me after that came out, he couldn't go back there because the people that kind of ruled that break were like pissed that he that he like blew it up wow. in surfer magazine and like he went back there once and like got beat up or something and he couldn't oh, go no. there anymore. yeah so it's kind of like uh yeah, yeah it was a bit of yeah. a yeah. uh it's
0: sort, it's sort of like third. revealing yeah. the uh shortcut back roads on the east end of long island right? or fishing spots too, or right? fishing spots yeah my husband is exactly. all about yeah
4: that. it's the same kind of idea like people don't want you know but but you know at the end of the day though especially like now it, with all any kind of like technology and access that people have it's hard to imagine that like the best places haven't been discovered but you know there's probably still people like eric out there trying to look look for them for sure right well there you go cool story yeah it was fun it was fun writing it (laughs) so grab your board and catch a wave
0: yeah fun and that's all that's happening in sports this week that's plenty yeah on the east end of long island It is a lot that's a lot it is plenty so So, if you want all the updates on sports, definitely uh, go visit 27east.com and see how it came out.
2: Drew's your man.
3: We'll have all the stories on the basketball games. Uh, Stay tuned for sure.
1: 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.